We're going to be taking a little bit of a pause on our series, The Fruit of the Spirits, um, just because of our church meeting today. Uh, and I wanted to kind of set a tone for kind of today and for a meeting later this afternoon. And one of the things for us is that as we do our all church meeting, a lot of it is looking back about like what God has done and looking at our finances and communicating with you, hey, this is where we spent our money. But a lot of it is also about what are we going to do together this coming year, right? And so as we, we, we step into this, this meeting, I want us to all come together as a church and to think about, okay, how do... How does, and how do I participate in this church family? What are the opportunities that are for me? But more so than that, I want to set a tone for us as a church that we can move together as one church. A lot of us in the new year, and we're still kind of in the new year, it's February, it's crazy. But a lot of us, we set something called resolutions, right? We, we make these grand plans of, of, or goals or a change in lifestyle. And all of these things are great, but sometimes it can be a little tricky because within all these things that we want to do and we want to accomplish, whether it's to get healthy, or, or we want to change up how we, we, we live, we want to make better choices, we want to get more active, or maybe you want to learn more, and so you, you decide that, oh, this year I'm going to read 100 books this year, or even one a month. Or sometimes it's, it's spiritual. Sometimes we want to say, hey, I want to grow in my discipleship. I'm going to study the Bible more. I'm going to serve. I'm going to volunteer more. Most of the time, our resolutions end up being more work or more that we add on to our plate. This is actually the primary reason why a lot of people fail at their New Year's resolution. They fail at their New Year's resolution because it's not that it's not a good goal or a good plan, but we fail at the New Year's resolution because we don't take things out or we don't change things so that we can add more. We always have good intentions, but we fail because in our human capacity, we have limits. And oftentimes, we overload our ability and capacity to do things. One of the things that Jesus says in the Bible says, come to me and I will give you rest. So that's what we're going to look at today. And it's weird because as we're gearing up for a new year, Pastor John, you're telling me to rest? Well, that's exactly what I'm going to tell you today. So before we get into it, let's pray. Father God, we just uh, come to you today. And we ask for your word to speak truth into our lives that your spirit empowers us to live with you and for you. Father, we continue to pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, we come before you today and we live out what it means for your earth 
us to be doing things of earth in earth as it is in heaven. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 11, chapter, 28, uh, chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. It says this. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Resting in our Western culture is often countercultural to our mindset because we're often told that we need to work. We need to work hard to achieve all of these things. We set goals to build out ABC or XYZ. And we pile more and more, even through our volunteering and through our serving, and there's this mindset that goes, if we work on these things now, then later we can enjoy the fruits of our labor. We work and we work and we work. And don't get me wrong, work is good. But too much work will also burn you out. In North American culture, burnout or brownout or getting singed is a very common thing that we all deal with. It's very common that we talk about, oh, this season I, I feel tired and exhausted, or this season I feel like I am at the mac- my maximum capacity. And oftentimes, this, our culture that we live in, rest is not seen as a value. Even when we go on vacation, we, we plan out our vacation and we say, oh, this is my time off. I, I set this time off and we plan these vacations and those vacations are the busiest vacations that we ever plan out. We spend all this money and we decide we're going to go to this place and we're going to go to this place. We don't want to waste our, our, our time off. And what ends up happening is that we go to these vacations and then we come back and we're just like, we're even more exhausted than before because we've planned all these things and we've done all these things and we didn't give ourselves a moment to cease working. Because even sometimes going on vacation, it feels like work, right? As parents of young children, I feel like we never get to rest, right? All those parents of young children in here. We feel like we're constantly going, right? And that well, there, there isn't even a time to rest because the kids are always beckoning. They're always at your feet. They're always like, Dad, carry me. Dad, lift me up. Dad, I need this. Dad, I need that. We live in this culture where we're just all so tired. But resting is something that God put in place from the time of creation. When God created the world that we know, he took six days to create everything, and on the seventh day, he rested. This isn't saying that God was tired, but it was God setting a standard for creation to follow. This means that resting needs to be part of all things created. That as image bearers of of God and that we are created in his image, that we also need to rest. We also see this as the fourth commandment found in the Ten Commandments that was given to Moses for God's people to remember the Sabbath. 
The word Sabbath comes from the word Shabbat, which means to rest, to cease work. So it's a require, so it is a requirement for us as creation to rest. Not just as humanity, but for all creation. I grew up around a lot of farms, and I know that a lot of my farmer friends talk about how they cultivate their land. And that even the land after you cultivate it, it needs time to rest. And so they rotate their crops in order to let even the land rest. To even let creation in that sense take a pause. Because in that rest, something happens. In that rest, what happens is that things begin to reset. Things begin to recharge. So when God talks about us needing rest and when Jesus calls us to come to rest, it's not about not doing anything. It's not a call to be lazy. But the purpose of rest comes twofold. One, like I said, it's about resetting our minds. Work and busyness can easily overcome our mind where it becomes difficult to turn off our mind. And so God says rest. Reset. Partly to help us slow down. What happens when we slow down is that this reset that we do actually contributes to our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual well-being. But slowing down also helps us establish a healthy rhythm to leave space in our schedules. Resting also allows us to slow down, to be present, and to give attention to the people into the activities around us. But the second part of resting is about this, is about trusting in God. Here in the scripture, the word rest in Greek is literally to say to cease from working. But to cease from working isn't about being idle. It is about seizing our work so that we could rely on God. It's to, to, to rely on God and to, to seize our work. One of the things that it means is that we need to relax. And it's not just to relax by the poolside, but it's about relaxing our grip on our own lives. Relaxing our grip on our lives, our career, our family, and saying that I'm going to give all of this to God. I'm giving it to God in faith to know that God will provide. Sometimes when we live our lives, we, we hold on to a lot of things and we feel like it's our responsibilities to do. Whether it's 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 doing well in our work, getting that promotion, whether it's being a good parent and, 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 and making sure that our, our kids are, are growing up in a place where they, they, they learn how to behave, they learn how to, to, to survive on their own, whether it's holding on to our marriage and saying, hey, I need to, I need to do all of these things to preserve what I have in my marriage. 
All of these things are good, but God says rest. It means give this to me. Trust that I will provide for you. Trust that I see your situation. Trust that I know what you need better than you do. Trust that if you come to me, that I am going to step into that place and that you could trust me in that place. So essentially what God is calling us when Jesus says to come and rest, he's calling us to say, put your trust in who I am. That God will take care of all of these things. Jesus has come, right? First word, come. That's an invitation. It's a call from Jesus to come. Who does Jesus call us to? Jesus, come to me. Coming to Jesus is not a philosophy. It's not dogma. It's not even theology. It's not even church. I'm not discounting all of those things. But I'm trying to emphasize that when Jesus says come, it's to come to the person of Jesus. Who here is tired? Oh, a lot of hands. Who's worn down? Who's worried? Who's anxious? Who's overwhelmed? Jesus is calling us as humanity, as a whole. He's saying, come. Come to me. What does Jesus say, come to, to him for? He says, to rest. Jesus beckons us to a place of rest which is not just physical, but it's a place where we can contemplate on the weariness of your souls, the burdens that you carry, and to bring them to Jesus and lay them at his feet. Psalms 34, 8 says this. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And so Jesus says, come to me and I will give you refuge. Come to me and you will see what is good. Come to me and I will give you rest. And then this next part, he says, take my yoke. Now this is funny language. It's literally, the, the, the word yoke is literally the farming tool for yoke, where you put on to a cattle and, and together they, they pull and cultivate the land. But Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience here, and so this term yoke is actually very familiar to the, to the, to the, Jewish, to the Jews because this metaphor of yoke was often used under, under rabbinical language and under rabbinical teaching and training. In the Jewish culture, the yoke of the kingdom of heaven was to live according to the Torah. And so when a rabbi calls out students and says, come, they literally tell them to come and take my yoke. And so when Jesus says, come and take my yoke, this is actually a very familiar language to the Jewish people. They already have an understanding. It's like, come and fall under my teaching. But what Jesus says is, come and take my yoke, 
knowing that people will understand that Jesus is calling us to come under his training, right? But what Jesus says next here is what blows everything out of the water. He says, Take my yoke, learn from me, for my, for my yoke is light. Right? Jesus, take my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this aspect of my burden is light and my yoke is easy. And the reason why it's so different and controversial is this. The yoke under rabbinical training often came with a heavy burden. It often came with this expectation that I'm going to learn and I'm going to follow these religious rules. It often came with this aspect of come and, and memorize the Torah, right? The training under the rabbis wasn't as simple as, oh, read your Bible and understand the script. It was memorize the Torah. The Torah is five books of the Bible, first five books. Right? Memorize it all. All the laws, all the, all the, the ceremonial laws, all, all of that, the stories, everything. You have to memorize it. It wasn't as simple as just like follow it, but memorize it and uphold these things. And so this religious heaviness, this burden was often on the Jewish people and they're just like, well, this is heavy, this is religious, this is hard, we have to follow this. And on top of that, we have to try to live this out on our own accord. And so Jesus says that, no, my yoke is light. My, the burden is easy. In many sense, what Jesus is saying is that my yoke is a non-yoke. That if you come under me, there is freedom in the way that you could live. That there isn't, a, I need to work this out on my own anymore. There isn't this, I need to figure out my faith. I don't need to, I don't need to, to come to a place where I earn my way into salvation because Jesus says that I'm going to do it all for you. So when Jesus says these words, it probably confused everybody. It confused them because to say that the yoke is easy, the burden is light, It's almost like, well, what is, what's the yoke then? This easy yoke, take it, Jesus says. Learn from it. He says, learn from me for I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart. Jesus says, Come to me. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly and humble in heart. It's a call for us to humility as Jesus had humility. 
When we take on Jesus' yoke, we align ourselves with his character in growing and understand through humility. This meekness, is, which often in our culture is seen as weakness, or the word meek oftentimes is associated with this aspect of being a doormat, that you're not able to stand up for yourself, that you're a pushover, but Jesus isn't saying that. In fact, in Matthew 5, 5, we find in the Beatitudes that Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus says to be gentle and humble is the way that we are to move, the way that we are to be, the way that we are to approach all things. And Jesus says that humility comes and we... It requires humility for us to actually take on his yoke because if we look at the passages before uh, this one that we're reading in Matthew 11, he talks about the cities in which he curses out, right? So if you have your Bibles, just look a couple verses out. It says this, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for the, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down into Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. And then Jesus says, come. There's this metaphor that Jesus is using, the wise and understanding against the little children is not actually referring to those that are smart versus children but he is actually addressing those that are prideful and those that are humble. He uses this paradox because the cities that, cur that Jesus cursed and Jesus rejected, those people, those people felt like they knew more than what Jesus was preaching. Because with the message that Jesus was preaching and the expectations of what they thought the Messiah was going to be didn't match up. The Jewish people always expected, and actually a lot of the Jewish people today still expect and are still waiting for this political overturn and that the Messiah is going to do that. And so a lot of people miss Jesus because their expectation of what Jesus is supposed to do doesn't match what Jesus did. And so oftentimes, the, the reason why the Messiah was rejected back in those days and till today is because what Jesus has come to do on, the, on earth didn't, does not match what our expectation of what Jesus is supposed to be for us. And so Jesus says, those cities, I curse them, they, they, they rejected me. And it's better. And, and because they rejected me, I've hidden these things from the wise. I've hidden these things from the prideful people. 
and that understanding will be revealed to the little children. That those are, that are humble enough to understand, those that are un- humble enough to learn, those that put themselves in a place where I'm going to come under Jesus' teaching will come into this place of understanding that the kingdom of heaven will be revealed to them. The meekness and the posture of humility is a submission to Jesus. It's to open up our hearts to know Jesus more, to love God more, and to see more of his character. And in this, Jesus promised rest for your souls. Like I said, rest is not just about taking a day off. But rest is coming beside and learning how to walk out Sabbath. Sabbath rest is not just a day that we observe, but the person that we observe. Jesus says in the next paragraph in Matthew 12, 18, it says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So yes, we do need to slow down. Yes, we do need to take time off. Yes, we need to reset our weeks. But the rest that Jesus calls us to is about finding the the rhythms of life with Jesus. That Sabbath rest is evaluating our priorities and saying that I'm in pursuit of God's way over the fleeting demands of the world. So, this year as we look towards 2024 for the church, I want you to ask yourself, what do I need to do to rest in Jesus? What are the things, the burdens that are heavy that I need to give to Jesus? You know when you get a new phone or a new device? I'm, I'm a, I, all my stuff is Apple, so I could only speak to the Apple people. But when you buy a new device... What happens is you get this opportunity to import all of your old stuff onto your new things, right? Like you open up your new boxes, it's just like, do you want to copy your phone and your current settings onto the new phone? It's great. I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it allows us to keep everything where we, we know. Like my wife hates it if anything is moved on her phone or her computer. And so when we do the transfer, it has to go exact over, right? Because she doesn't want to learn a new operating system, right? And so we get this opportunity to import everything into the new operating system. So when I got my phone here, this is two years ago now, I imported everything from my old phone to my new phone. And one of the new things that happened when I got a new phone is that now I could download some new apps because my old phone didn't let me download those apps because it wasn't fast enough, right? And so I went and I'm like, oh, great, I could download this new app now. And I go and download the app. And what comes up is a prompt that says, iPhone storage full. What happens is that 
when I import everything from my old phone to a new operating, new, new, new phone system, is that everything that went f with the old phone went onto the new phone. So they included all of the pictures of my kids that they, when they play with my phone, they literally take videos of the floor, <laughs> right? They have all these random pictures. It's, it's not real pictures. Like, and it's hundreds, 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 hundreds of them. But it's not just the pictures that take up the space. It's also the old apps that, that serve no more purpose. Apps that you don't use, that you have forgotten about, that is in your operating system, that's just taking up room. One of the apps that I had, and I actually realized that I carried this app for 10 years, is the dumbest app ever. It's made by Zippo, and it literally is just a picture of a Zippo lighter <laughs> that you could flick on. Like when, okay, when the iPhone, iPhone came out, smartphones came out, this was the coolest thing because now it's like this. Oh, you have this Zippo, and it's, it, it responds as you move it. The flame moves with it. Dumbest app. I kept it for over 10 years, taking room in my phone. Of course my phone was full because I had all these dumb apps. I had the fart app too, okay, I don't know. It shows my maturity when, when, when I first got a smartphone. Don't give kids smartphones for this reason. But what I had to do is I had to go do a factory reset and then intentionally look at what is important that I need to bring into this one. I do a factory reset in a place where I said, okay, I'm only gonna use this phone for what is new. I actually put in quite a bit of my pictures in because I, I have a lot of pictures of my kids. I just don't like my kids' pictures that they take on the phone, right? The pictures that I take are great. The pictures that my wife takes are great and she sends them to me. But the pictures that they take, junk. It is junk. Like seriously, if you look at my phone, hundreds of photos of just the floor or, or feet of their own feet. But that's what we need to do. We need to get rid of things because we, come, we always get to that place where our storage our, is, is so maxed out that we carry burdens, we carry emotions, we carry things into even a new operating system that actually weigh us down that doesn't actually lift us up in any way, that doesn't actually allow us to work in a place of our full capacity. So, this new year, for us as a church, I want us, all of us, to look at our lives and say, what do I need in terms of factory reset? What are things that I need to lay down and say, Jesus, take this. What is it that I need to do to come to that place of daily rest with Jesus? What is it that I need to do to come to a place of being in the presence of God so that we could live out the kingdom of God together? What is it that we need to do to actually readjust our schedule so that we make time to spend time with Jesus? That we make time for rest that we make time to be in the presence of God.
as a people, we get to choose our default settings. We get to enter into a new year and we can mindlessly bring all this stuff and import all this stuff into the new year or we could be intentional about how we live. I want us to start this year with a clean slate and how we can reevaluate what we're taking into this new year. That we're preparing ourselves with an, in an we're preparing ourselves for a new year with God and allowing God to do new things through this church where we could redesign our defaults to earnestly make our default one that seeks to live out more our lives like Jesus, that we could deepen our, understand, our understanding through reflection and our desire for him leads us to transformation. And so this year, as we go into 2024, as a church together, I want us, all of us here, to learn to rest. I want all of us here to be intentional about resting. I want all of us here to be able to sit with Jesus. Can we do that together? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this invitation to come to you. We thank you for this invitation that not only is an invitation to come to you, but to come to you with all of our burdens and all of the heaviness that we have. And Lord, you said that when we do that, you give us rest. So, Lord, as a church, may we learn to rest in you. May we learn to rest with you. May we be able to reset on a daily basis who we are. May we be able to be give all of our burdens, all our heaviness, all of our anxiety, all of our worries, all of our overwhelming feelings to you. And trust that you are Lord in all of those situations. So Lord, as we together as a church move forward, may we all first learn to rest in you. May we all first come to a place of understanding what it means to live in your kingdom, what it means to live out our lives in glory to who you are. So, Father, as a church, we want to bless you. As a church, we want to glorify you. And so, continuously call us to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a timely message. As John shared that, uh, remind us about resting in, in God. Um, and he, he said that resting is something God instituted. And God rested um, when he created everything. And he, he walked that for us to, to rest. And we are called to rest upon him. 
And I like it when John mentioned that we're not resting to be idle, but we're resting with a purpose, a purpose to reflect on who he is, knowing that because he has lifted us up, Lord, and he is the one that have done it for us, so we can reflect on what he has done for us so that we can re refresh our mind and find that uh, humbleness to, to prostrate ourselves to him. And I, I love the, the analogy that John used about uh, the computer uh, and refreshing it because uh, I was updating my OS and Jim here was help, helping me as well. And I, I can really ref relate to the fact that when I was updating my OS, it was two options. There's an option to upload your update your OS and, uh, and keep all your old files, or you basically, the second option is reboot everything. And it's a reminder that once you reboot, you get rid of all the old lug lagging and stuff that clutter our lives. You can move so much more freely. So it's such a re good analogy in terms of what we need to do to release all those old baggage when we reset ourselves uh, and just receive what God has done for us. As he said, his yoke is easy and, our burden, uh, and his my burden is light. So let's pray, Lord. Father, we, we thank you for what you have done, that you bring us uh, to a place where we can unload those things that hold us back and heavy, where we are burdened and weary, that we can put it upon your feet, Lord, and just rest upon you and reflect what you are doing in our lives, Lord. So we come to you and still in this early part of 2024, Lord, help us to reset our hearts, reset, reset our focus into you, Lord. And let us take those things that are holding us back from moving forward, things that is uh, dragging us down. Let us release those things and receive what you are refreshing through your spirit into our lives, Lord. Let us have an open heart, open mind, uh, and just to receive what you have for us. Have a, give us a humble heart in you, Lord, to be tentative and to listen clearly as your spirit lead us, Lord. We thank you. We bless your holy name. We glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.